Greetings, film pals. I bid you welcome to The Cinematic Crypt, a movie podcast hosted by Movie John's Old Sport and Classic Coroner, Rosalie Kicks. Me. Each episode, I travel six feet under and pry open a coffin of one of my favorite Hollywood corpses and perform a post-watch examination of one of their forgotten films. Lend me your ears and listen along as I summon the spirits of Hollywood's dearly departed and uncover your next favorite film from the grave. Before we descend into the crypt, I will begin with reading my obituary, a notice of what I have been up to since we last spent time together. In my last episode, I discussed Frankenstein 1970 and regaled you in the tales of the Leonard family basement, our personal video rental store. Of course, I have made several trips to the video store since our last visit and have uncovered some truly cinematic treasures some which shall be shared on this program in the future. As much as I do love films, another activity that has been bringing me much comfort in these bizarre and unforeseen times we find ourselves in is reading. When I was a child, reading a book seemed like such a luxury. As a child, much of my weekends were spent slinging produce at my family's farmer's market, which did not leave much time to get lost in a fictional tale. For those few times that I did manage to find my nose in a book, it always gave me a wonderful feeling of escape. I was able to leave the world behind and find myself in some new, exciting place. When I went to college, I did not have much time for leisurely reads, as I was swimming in required textbook assignments. After film school, I often wished that I was an avid reader, I fondly looked up to acquaintances of mine that were bookworms. As I got older, when I did attempt to read, it felt as if I was cheating, like I should be doing something else with my time rather than selfishly getting lost in a book. It was not until last year, at the age of 35, that I learned the power books can have on you. In battling my depression, my film pal and fellow movie genre, VHS Jess, or as some know, Jesse Landever Prescott, recommended that I turn to reading as a way to leave the darkness behind. Of course, to no surprise of anyone, I became a night reader. Like a vampire sucking the blood from a neck to gain strength, with each page I turned, I found myself more energized. Instead of scrolling through my phone at night, I would pick up a book, and before I knew it, I was on my way of becoming a bibliophile. I should point out, I was not a complete novice in the sport of reading. I had a library card, and I knew how to use it. Thanks to my mother-in-law, I even had a Barnes & Noble membership. One place I had not ventured to, though, was the illustrious Strand Bookstore in the Big Apple, New York City. Luckily, I knew the perfect pal to take me there and help me navigate the city streets, VHS Jess. I will never take a trip to the city without her again. She is an amazing tour guide and kick-ass chauffeur. I never experienced someone maneuver on the New York City streets with such ease. We took a trip to the Strand, and what a grand trip it was. It is where I picked up 
based on her recommendation. The book Rain and Delilah's Midnight Matinee by Jeff Zentner. This is a young adult novel that tells the story of two teenagers, Delia and Josie. Together they host a creature feature show at a local public access TV station called Midnight Matinee. Donning attire much in the vein of Vampira, they transform into their on-screen personas, Rain Ravenscroft and Delilah Darkwood, and screen low-budget horror and sci-fi flicks of the past. With the girls about to graduate from high school, they have found themselves at a crossroads with tough choices to make. Of course, the story ends up getting rather heavy as their future looms ahead. Whoa, this is heavy. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? What? Obviously, I'm sharing this book with you, my goblins and ghouls, because I loved it. If you are fans of this show and have a fondness of former horror host Vampira, then this is the book for you. I'll post more information on the Cinematic Crypt page, which you can find on moviejohn.com under MJ Podcasts Cinematic Crypt. Imagine it, your favorite little gravedigger with her own TV program. I suppose with the internet, anything is possible. Would you tune in? Makes KABC one of the most powerful television stations in all the West. But even this mighty tower shook to its very foundations when a bizarre, offbeat, mysterious image was first telecast just a few weeks ago. And no wonder, the image was that of KABC's internationally acclaimed glamour ghoul, Vampira. Her theme song is Meet Me Tonight in Screamland. And her impact on televiewers has been fantastic. Now, three short weeks after Vampira's first scary airing, Newsweek magazine told the nation about her Saturday night to fret together. After six weeks, Life magazine devoted three big pages of pictures and story to Vampira. And worldwide publicity in French, English, and Australian newspapers and magazines is now being topped by a full-page spread in the Sunday edition of the New York Daily News. And all because of this sweet, lovable little key named Vampira. grab your cape and get comfortable. It is time for our regularly scheduled spooky program. Follow me, but watch your step as you descend down to the cinematic crypt. I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. Listen to them, children of the night. What music they make. Although it is one of my favorite flicks, in today's episode, I will not be dissecting Todd Browning's film Dracula. Instead, 
I will be uncovering the grave once again of German director F.W. Murnau, who you may recall from episode three of The Cinematic Crypt, when I examined his silent film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Today, I will be digging up his 1922 silent feature film, Nosferatu. The word Nosferatu is believed to be a Romanian word, meaning vampire. The word vampire became, dare I say, popular after being used in the 1897 Bram Stoker fictional tale, Dracula. Nosferatu was an unauthorized adaptation of this novel, and due to this, various elements from the story were altered. The word vampire became Nosferatu, and Count Dracula became Count Orlok. However, similarities remained, and Stoker's heirs sued, which inevitably ended in all copies of the film to be destroyed. Thankfully, a few prints were left intact, and it was shown in the United States in June of 1929, seven years after its premiere in Germany. This picture is now regarded as one of the greatest films ever made. Considered the first genuine vampire picture, Nosferatu tells the story of Count Orlok, played by the corpse of interest, Max Schreck. I first saw this picture in film school. Before watching it for this program, I don't believe I had revisited it since. Wow, it is fantastic. Just as one of the opening title cards suggest, it truly is a symphony of horror. There is so much I love about this film, and I definitely need to add it to the Leonard Library, as it is one that I should be rewatching every so often. Count Orlock is a lonely soul living in Transylvania, who decides he has had enough of his isolated life in his drafty castle and has the desire to move to a bustling town. So he calls up a real estate agent to help him find his new abode downtown. The agency sends naive Thomas Hutter to meet with Count Orlock. Upon stopping in a local tavern en route to the destination, the pub dwellers inform Thomas of the grave mistake he is making in traveling to Count Orlock's castle, especially at night when there is a werewolf prowling the woods in the pale moonlight. Man, you know that house up at the end of the road that nobody goes near? Well, let me tell you why they don't. Well, in the haunted house at the top of the hill, the spooks give around to test their skill. That stroke of twelve every night seemed to such a frightful sight. Stay, stay away when the goats stab the goblins play when the hands of the clocks fall out midnight. Better get in out of sight. Eventually, despite some additional travel mishaps, Thomas arrives to the castle thanks to a chap donning a hat with the most amazing feather, which I now need to own. At the castle, Thomas is greeted by a fiendish, pale host, Count Orlock. He finds a tasty meal awaits, though, and a host ready to assist him with his lacerated thumb, although maybe attempting to suck the blood from someone you just met may be moving a bit too fast. 
kind of like showing a person your collection of knives during an initial house visit. I mean, you did just meet. Of course, it goes without saying, Orlock can't resist a midnight snack. And when Thomas awakes in the morning, he finds punctures on his neck, which he later attributes to mosquitoes. Because, yeah, sure. It should be noted that what makes this film so damn unnerving and chilling is the use of shadows. Seeing Count Orlock climbing up the stairs is not only an iconic scene, but it is guaranteed to send chills down your spine. Also, the great production and set design, there is a clock with a skeleton atop of it that I absolutely adore. I am often drawn to props within films and appreciate when filmmakers are mindful of what they share with us in the frame. I would be amiss if I didn't speak about Max Schreck, the corpse of interest. If his name seems familiar to you, you may recall a character in Tim Burton's Batman Returns, played by Christopher Walken, who makes use of the same name. Surprisingly, in Nosferatu, the main character of the film, Orlock, does not appear in the picture until 21 minutes into an hour and 34 minute long flick. And Orlock is only seen for a total of about nine minutes. Despite this, he is still the most memorable character and it is all due to Max Schreck. Max Schreck has the physique of a monster due to his rather special features. And I say this with utmost respect, he was perfect to play this part, and is absolutely terrifying. Legend has it, Shrek's eerily grand performance was due to the fact that he was truly a vampire. Only appearing in a mere 46 films and dying at the age of 56 in 1936, Max's career seemed to be taking full steam at that moment. His portrayal in Nosferatu has left us all, though, with a lasting impression. Something I learned upon dissecting this film is that Count Orlock only is ever seen blinking once on screen, near the end of Act 1. It just adds to the unsettling vibes one receives from this character. Okay, so Thomas thinks mosquitoes are behind his wounds, and what the heck, Orlock seems like a nice chap especially when he makes comments like, your wife has a lovely neck, after seeing a photograph of Thomas's wife. So it only makes sense to be super excited that this guy is now going to be your literal neighbor. After he signs papers to purchase the abode directly across from Thomas's house. This flick reminds me so much of the song Downtown, sung by Pachula Clark. Essentially, Orlock is looking for a change. He wants to live a life in the hustle and bustle. He is lonely, sad, and he needs next to chomp. And where do you go to forget all your troubles and forget all your cares? You go downtown. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go. Downtown When you've got worries All the noise and the hurry Seems to help, I know Downtown Just listen to the music Of the traffic in the city Linger on the sidewalk Where the 
never said Thomas was the brightest, as he only begins to suspect Orlock is a vampire after reading a book about vampires that he just so happened to take from the local pub he had visited. Despite the evidence, punctures on his neck, rarely seeing Orlock during the day, and even after Orlock remarks, I sleep by day, dear fellow, completely dead to the world, instead of finding that odd, Thomas seems to find it all completely normy. When he finds Orlock lurking at the foot of his bed, he just crawls under the covers, choosing to not accept the reality. He is a guest of a vampire. It is the book about vampires, though, that puts it all together. Well, that, and when he stumbles down the castle's crypt to find a sleeping Orlock resting comfortably in his bunk, that's when he realizes true danger is afoot and that he must escape. Meanwhile, Thomas's wife starts having visions of Orlock, some type of astral projection flimflam at work. This brings me to one of my favorite scenes of the film. Moving day, Orlock is seen piling up coffins onto a wagon of sorts, and as the last one is loaded up, he hops aboard and climbs into his bunk, all ready to go on his adventure. Important lesson is learned here, too. The reminder to always travel with six cases of dirt. One sleeps more comfortably in the dirt from their home. Thomas witnesses this exciting event, and when he tries to escape from the castle, lands literally on his head, and ta-da, wakes up in the hospital. This entire time, though, Orlock has been on the move, traveling by sea to his exciting new city. Upon arrival, he walks off the ship alone, nonchalantly carrying his coffin, and moves into his new quarters across the street from the lovely neck. Later, the ship is discovered, and the captain is found dead, and there's only one logical answer. The plague has arrived. The town is ordered to stay inside and is filled with panic and distress. Sounds familiar, huh? The plague is blamed for many of Count Orlock's meals. However, it is Thomas's wife, Ellen, that gets to the bottom of it and realizes the vampish truth of her new neighbor. So she devises a scheme in hope to cause his demise. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to watch Nosferatu, it is currently streaming on the Criterion channel, which is how I viewed it. Kino Lorber has put out a two-disc remastered Blu-ray as well, which I definitely plan to pick up at some point. You may even want to purchase a baker's dozen of Nosferatu cookies before you watch. That's right, your next coffee break can be spent with Max Schreck himself. Shout out to Twitter film pal at FilmRadar for the tip. I will go ahead and put the link to purchase the cookies on moviejohn.com under the Cinematic Crypt page. And thanks to FilmRadar for the tip, old sport. Give her a follow. This lovely lady is the official tour guide at Hollywood Forever Cemetery, a destination that I hope to find myself on my next trip to Hollywood. Viewer beware, though. In watching the film, it may leave you pining not just for a black cloak to drape yourself in as you shield your pale flesh from the sunlight, or a new state-of-the-art coffin bed, but 
if you're like me, you may find yourself in the market for a new set of wheels. Oh, how grand it would be to take a Sunday drive out to the park in my shiny new black hearse. And for those wondering, yes, oh yes, I have already started researching the possibilities. And wow, I never realized how much trunk space a hearse provides. Sleek, sophisticated, seductive. The new Millennium Edition Crown Royal Funeral Coach. Because your loved one deserves the very best in style and comfort. In my next episode, I will be uncovering the grave of Arch Obeler and will dissect the 1945 film Bewitched. I am so excited about this director as I just stumbled upon him about a week or so ago. And oh my gosh, you know how sometimes you find a new movie or a filmmaker and you're like, where have you been all my life? Well, I have this feeling, old sport, that this guy is going to be a major influence to the crypt as I pursue my dream of becoming the Vampira of the Airwaves. Hope you tune in. What I need is a vampire cocktail to settle my nerves. It'll not only settle them, it will petrify. Mmm. A vampire cocktail. You like it? It hates you. I've had several letters asking whether olives or cherries should be used in making my cocktail. Well, actually, neither is necessary, since they'd only disintegrate upon being put into the cocktail. However, if you want to use some garnish, you can drop in an eyeball. If you happen to have an extra one around the house. Please make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and give us a rating and review to help other goblins and ghouls find the show. If it is a kind review, I may even read it on the show. Like this one, from my film pal, Katie McBrown. Rosalie's voice should actually narrate everything. It's so crystal clear and smooth. After each episode, I want to watch the movie immediately. She's full of facts, and I feel so much smarter after I listen. I recommend to all my friends. Thank you, Katie. You have made this little gravedigger so happy. Speaking of Katie, my film pal and fellow director, we recently just watched the rough cut of our short film, Pizza Man, compliments of editor Rachel Watson, another fellow film pal. You may recall in previous episodes my discussion of the production of our short film, Pizza Man. The film is about an eccentric elderly couple, Helen and Teddy. After their young son was run down by a pizza delivery driver, they have become grief-stricken and never eat pizza again. They dedicate their lives to running all pizza establishments out of town, and when a new shop, Pizza Heaven, opens, they take revenge. If my calculations are correct, we should wrap this project early summer, so stay tuned. And take note, goblins and ghouls, a raving review may keep you from finding an early grave. Mwah! So log into iTunes to leave your own review or send us an email. Don't be a stranger. I want to know what you think. Drop your favorite little gravedigger a line at cinematiccrypt at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion for the show or a corpse you want me to dig up, let me know. 
You can also reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Cinematic Crypt. Don't forget to visit moviejohn.com shop to subscribe to the movie zine that I create quarterly with my film pals. Our next issue features jetpacks, flying cars, and spaceships. Yes, that's right. The future. Does your future hold a mailbox filled with awesomeness? I hope so. Visit moviejohn.com shop to subscribe today. Shout out to my Canadian film pal, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers, for providing and creating a lot of the tunes you hear on this program. She is also going to be scoring Pizza Man. Thanks, pal. Also, thanks to fellow movie genre, the Hollywood hunk, Hugo Marmuji, for the rad Cinematic Crypt logo. If you can't get enough of my soothing voice, then make sure to check out I Saw It In A Movie, a weekly advice podcast that goes to the cinema for the answer. This weekly podcast will feature a rotation of Movie John Pals to serve as experts to answer all of your burning questions. No question is too silly. Maybe you are wondering where to start in silent film watching, or what to do with that creepy doll that is hiding out in your attic. Ask away by contacting us on Twitter at I Saw It In A Movie, or email dear I saw it in a movie at gmail.com. Or if you're old fashioned, like your favorite little gravedigger, you can contact us via postal mail. Attention, Movie John, P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145. All of this information is available on our website as well, moviejohn.com, MJ Podcasts. Can't wait to hear from you, old sport. And remember, for every question, there is a movie with the answer. A new episode is available every Monday. It is now time to close the coffin. Here I leave you to rest with my latest epitaph. My tombstone quote, compliments of Thomas Hutter. My dreams are heavy in this desolate castle But do not fear, for I am finally sleeping soundly in the comfort of my velvet-lined bunk. Goodbye, film pals.